6am. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nahum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Sound. The shadow smoke is a 
One peaceful Friday night The table decked in white The gloom and darkness of gallows Seem lost in the candle's light Entranced by the brilliant glare A young boy pondered and stared He dreamed of a world of Kiddusha Where Shabbos is kept To sing the song of Shabbos The whole world is waiting To sing the song of Shabbos The flowers and the trees Sing the song of Shabbos The valley and the mountains Sing the song of Shabbos And I am also With his long and curly hair Stood there for a while Broke out with a smile Emotion, overwhelming joy With tears The men were dancing there Their hearts so full of love 
They sang such happy tunes to thank the one above for showing them the way, for giving them a day to rest, rejoice with peace of mind to pray. Just one Shabbos and we'll all be free. Just one Shabbos, come and join. The world stands so still, not a sound. But listen carefully, you can hear the whispering announcing the arrival of the Shabbos Queen. The candles reflecting the joy on the faces of every girl and boy. Mother prays there silently. Children sing as the Shekhinah descends to fill the world with peace. Suddenly from the dark comes my Shabbos, my spark, and its holiness lights up my soul. It's a treasure that makes me feel whole, and my spirit's my heart feels at home And on each Friday night I can close my eyes tight I can picture it so vividly I can taste the geula so sweet It's the time God made And my neshama Shabbos, you really should know 
treasure and he's kept it in his life Shared it with his family, his children and his wife They learn new things each day to live the Torah way The message of one job is here to stay And now I never miss a chance to stop and look around Invite some people home to share the sights and sounds Of Shabbos candlelight and Zmiro's Friday night And get to see a Jewish soul ignite Just one Shabbos and we'll all be free Shabbos project, come and join me We'll sing and dance to the sky with our spirits so high them all is true let them come and join us too just one shop is and we'll all be free just one shop is come and join with me we'll sing and dance to the sky with our spirits so high we will show them all it's true let them come and join us too just one shop is
Oh, yeah. 
Closing the deal On the phone, on the road Buying, selling, spinning wheels It's easy to lose balance Chasing money and success But there's a special treasure With which we have been blessed And as each day passes Joy fills the air Waiting for the moment To stand up and declare Baruch Hashem Itshabes In the candles glow, our neshamas grow Baruch Hashem, it's Shabbos Baruch Hashem, it's Shabbos Heilig Tayyere Shabbos Once the wine is poured, we become restored Baruch Hashem, it's Shabbos Sheishas Yomim Tavoy For six days every week We work hard and struggle Just to make ends meet But once out of seven We all become kings Who greet Shabbos Amalko By rising up to When I hear the boss, I jump To shop or go to shul I'm always parking by a pump But all of the worry Goes down the drain When my wife and children join me In singing the refrain
above We get to bond with those we love And there's one more plus Our parents spend more time with us Baruch Hashem It's Shabbat Shalom Good Shabbos Shabbat Shalom Shabbat Shalom Shalom Aleichem Malachei Asharet Malachei Abba, hey Abba, come here. What happened, Sarah? The man is all alone. Can we invite him to our Shabbat? Of course we can, sweetheart. Hey, sir, come in, please. Yes. Shabbat table is only possible thanks to your mother.
This is for Shabbat. This is for Shabbat. And this is for Shabbat.
אז שבוס לכי ונאי לכו, כי היא מקוילה ברוכו. מי רויש מקדם נסיכו, סויף מעשה במחשבות Oh, 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 oh,
آزاد شهباس ایشباس رازاد شهباس دیس اختس به رازاد یخان لمشره یعلو رازاد یخان رازاد شهباس ایشباس رازاد شهباز دیس اختس به رازاد خان به میشره یعلا آی رازاد خان شهباز کویدش شهباز کویدش
אלוהים עליכם, עם מלאכי השורץ, עם
Friday morning broadcast here at JM in the AM. As uh, we continue, Harry Rothenberg has words about this week's Parsha. Here he is at JM in the AM. I want to start this week with a joke, courtesy of my twin boys. Once upon a time, there was a farmer and he had two horses, but he had a huge problem. He couldn't tell them apart. So he had this great idea. He goes, he takes his knife and cuts off the tail of one of them. But it doesn't work because it grows right back. So then he said, I have a great idea. I'm going to shave the mane off one of them. He takes his nice fat scissors and he goes, ch -ch 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 -ch, and he shaves off the mane. But guess what happened? It grew right back. So finally, he's like, I have the best idea. I'm going to measure both of them. And then he realized that the brown one was two inches taller than the white one. I love that joke. And here's the connection to the Parsha. We learn about the Yom Kippur service, during which the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, stands in front of two identical goats. Cannot tell them apart. They have to be exactly the same in height and in appearance and in value. And he casts lots. And one of those goats is assigned to be the goat Lehashem to God. It's brought as a sacrifice on the holiest day of the year, in the holiest spot on earth, in the temple, loftiest spiritual end possible for an animal. The other one is assigned to be the goat to Azazel. It's taken out to the wilderness and thrown off of a rocky cliff, a very mundane end to its life. And one commentator says that those two goats represent us. Every day we face that choice. Are we going to choose to be the goat to God? dedicating ourselves to God, saying no, resisting temptations, or are we going to become slaves to our desires and be the goat to Azazel? We all have that choice. Doesn't matter what our appearance is, what we look like. Doesn't matter what our height is, meaning our social standing or status. And it doesn't matter what our value is, our wealth. We can all choose to be the goat to God or the goat to Azazel. And What's such a big deal when we choose to be the goat to God is that we had that choice. We could have given into our desires, and when we didn't, that's a really big deal. And you deserve and you get a lot of credit. And when we choose instead to give in to our passions, the opportunity cost is so enormous because instead we could have been the goats to God, and we gave up that opportunity. There's a famous phrase that man is the sum total of his experiences that may be true with respect to our physical lives, our travel logs, but it's definitely not true with respect to our spiritual lives. Instead, a better phrase would be that man and woman are the sum total of our choices. Every time we make a choice, we're deciding whether to be the goat to God or to Azazel. And look at the language. Those goats are not called the goat of God and the goat of Azazel, or the godly goat or the Azazel goat. Instead, they're called the goat to God and the goat to Azazel, screaming out at us that what's most important is where you're heading, not where you've been or where you are. Forget your past indiscretions. They're over. Don't get bogged down or held back by or defined by them. And don't rest on your laurels. You could have somebody who looks like they're doing all the right things spiritually. If you can get inside their head, you'd be horrified, shocked. You get with somebody else who looks like they're not holding anywhere with respect to their relationship to God. But how do you know you're not in their head? For all you know, there are intense desires, yearning to be closer to God inside that person. That person may have made a decision despite whatever they did or didn't do in the past to be going forward 
the goat to God. Every one of us, every day, has that choice. We can choose to be the goat to God. We can choose greatness. He couldn't tell us two horses apart, you know, like me and him, right? Oy lecha, doy dil, 
از کلا به این شب از
morning, I am. Well, I was just made aware that we may have had a technical problem that uh, <laughs> prevented what I was doing from being heard on the air. So I apologize for that. If um, if you weren't hearing a JMDM live over the last uh, little while, but I appreciate the listeners who uh, who caught that, and um, now you should be hearing me live from our teenex studio on a friday morning broadcast it's day 13 in the counting of the omer that's uh, one week and six days uh if you forgot to count last night make sure to do so sometime today on this erev shabbos parsha's achrei mos one parsha off from israel candle lighting at 7 30 in new york rosh chodesh er will be sunday and monday rosh chodesh er is sunday and monday so it's a two-day rosh chodesh again rosh chodesh er is sunday and Monday, quizreel.com. Don't forget Thursday, quizreel.com, the l- largest uh, Jewish trivia game. You can be part of it on Thursday. Go to quizreel.com, Q-U-I-Z-R-A-E-L.com. Benefits Nefesh Benefesh, register now. And if you're part of a school, uh, make sure your school is registered by going to... Um, By going to quizreel.com, Q-U-I-Z-R-A-E-L.com. Again, that's Q-U-I-Z-R-A-E-L.com. Make sure that um, that you are registered. There will be both a high school competition and elementary school competition. And you'll want to make sure that your school is part of it this coming Thursday. Malcolm Holmline from Israel coming up. And plenty more. Again, our apologies for the uh, uh, the glitch that occurred and that uh, likely preempted a lot of what we were doing here earlier. But now we are live on a Friday and you're listening to JM in the AM.
Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, day 13 in the counting of the Omer. That's one week and six days. We forgot to count last night. Make sure to do so sometime today. Rosh Chodesh ER starts tomorrow night. We'll bench Rosh Chodesh tomorrow. Sunday and Monday is Rosh Chodesh, a two-day Rosh Chodesh. Sunday and Monday and candlelighting in New York, 7.30. 7.30 candlelighting in New York. Make sure you know when things start where you are. And yes, this discrepancy in Parshios will last for about 14 weeks, the longest stretch it can, according to Rabbi Heber. The longest stretch that it can <laughs> uh, between Israel and the diaspora. Uh, don't forget quizreel.com coming up on Thursday. Those of you who have not registered your school yet for the big uh, Jewish uh, trivia game, make sure to do so. And those of you who want to participate in the individual contest around the world, make sure to do so as well. Go to quizreel.com, Q-U-I-Z-R-A-E-L.com, Q-U-I-Z-R-A-E-L.com. Malcolm Holmline is uh, in Israel which always makes our segment even more significant. And he is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Friday, 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time here at JM in the AM. Mr. Holmline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. It's good to be with you. And we will talk again about what's going on in this very quiet and uneventful world. <laughs> yeah, that's one way of describing it, to say the least. Well, this week, of course, yesterday we observed and we had a uh, we had a special on the air for Yom HaShoah. So let's start with some of the uh, the themes of Yom HaShoah. First of all, I didn't realize that uh, March of the Living seems to be back and, uh, and pretty strong. I don't know how the numbers did, but post-COVID, it looks like that educational experience has returned. It has returned, and it's a remarkable event, and I participated many years in the past. This year it conflicted with the, this trip that I'm on, which is uh, an advancement of the Mediterranean Initiative that we began 10 years ago, uh, together with the Greek-American uh, leadership, and we'll talk about that if uh, we have a minute later. Uh, but the March of Living, I saw the it's very emotional this year, and especially because of the separation that people didn't have uh, the march for, for a couple of years and the uh, events in, in Ukraine, I think, underscore and have reminded a lot of people. And my sense is, and I'm interested whether you match this, my sense is that people this year marked Yom HaShoah with much greater uh, intensity than for many years that I remember. I think people feel that they've been reminded uh, of it by the events in, uh, in Ukraine, but also because of the rise of anti-Semitism, many other factors that uh, made it much more of a focus of activity and attention. Well, I agree with you on that. Uh, and, and you just brought up the anti-Semitic hate crimes that uh, have been reported here in the United States, especially in the New York area. And in, in light of Yom HaShoah, I wanted to get your, your comment on that because... Uh, you know, we we are, it seems that we are experiencing many things of the past now in New York and other major cities in the United States. 
um, and, and certainly we're reliving whether it's the inflation or whether it's the uh, uh, the war type the wartime feeling that many get as they watch what's going on in the Ukraine, uh, etc. A lot of things are being relived. We don't want to relive uh, the great anti-Semitic activities of the past, but it seems that based on the reports and based on the data and the numbers, especially in the New York area, uh, we are experiencing those types of episodes and incidents at an alarming rate. What is your reaction to that in light of what you just said about Yom HaShoah? Well, as you know, after uh, years, I've been telling people in my speeches, and uh, I say to them, ask a survivor what they hear, what they see, what they smell from the events that are going on now. And inevitably, with everyone that I raise, they say this is a, a story, this is a drama that we saw before. And the the um, significance should not be lost on people. It's not to say that this is not this is 1938. What we see that, or 39, what we see is the indifference of the world of the tolerance for anti-Semitism. It is true now. 25 states have come out in support of and, and adopted the International Holocaust Remembrance Association definition of anti-Semitism, which many people may not understand is very significant because you can't fight it if you can't define it, if you can't identify it. The IRA definition with its examples uh, gives you gives the framework to hold to account those who violate it, those who engage in anti-Semitic activities of all kinds, including anti-Israel activities, not criticism of policies, but um, you know, denying Israel's right to exist is some of the activities we see on campus, et cetera. And hundreds of universities, associations, sports teams, others have also adopted it. And we are pushing for state legislatures and others to uh, to do the same because of the significance in, in trying to address this very sharp increase, 400% increase this year. The statistics that came out this past week, both from ADL, from the, the center at Tel Aviv University and others, show this, uh, the uh, increase, the double-digit increases, is almost a un- universal phenomenon. And it comes in so many ways. It's physical assaults, it's attacks, it's universities, it uh, happens in high schools and elementary schools with Holocaust denial, with persecution of, of Jewish students, and with the failure of those in authority to act decisively. We do see more people speaking out against it. We do see people, non-Jews, reacting and and rejecting anti-Semitism. And I think that we have to be more assertive in what we demand of those in authority and those who hold positions, whether in in all the areas that influence, especially young people, but all people, whether it's in sports or entertainment or in the media or in in education or in, in government or in judiciary, that they have to hold to account those who commit these acts and to speak out. And it's non Jews who have to take responsibility. We're the victims, not the perpetrators. And therefore, while we have to speak out as well, the onus really should fall on those who are not Jewish and who can help uh, put this you know, evil back under the rocks. We're never going to cure it. We're never going to take this cancer and excise it from society. But we can do a lot to make it unacceptable, to make it clear that those who engage in this practice, as in all forms of bigotry and racism, will be cut off from society, from support, 
and you know the consequences of it the incitement that takes us to Jerusalem that of the past few weeks is blatantly anti-semitic it's not it's not just against Israel it's against Israel's right to exist it's against Zionism it's against all of it. but it goes far beyond it and the you know today is Iranians al Quds day which they're marking all over the country of Iran and inciting people here in Jerusalem to um, to take up the, this uh, the uh, noting this day and taking up events which they want violence, yeah. even though both their people and Arabs will suffer. Get back to the Israel piece in a second. I want to focus on what uh, a word you used uh, just now in regard to the uh, hate crimes and, and anti-Semitic crimes story. And that's universal. Uh, many times we, uh, especially in the New York area, we become, uh, you know, obviously focused on, on what's in our backyard and where we certainly are wary of it. Um, what we don't realize sometimes is what you, as you just described, it's going on everywhere and in so many different fora and we have to keep that in mind. Uh, I don't know if this is a direct, um, uh, if this is a question that I'm asking because we are addressing this topic right now, but it sort of feels like many people out there feel it might be. So I'll ask you, what did you think of the results in the uh, French election this week, uh, especially as it relates to the Jewish community? Well, it was a complicated election, and the outcome is probably good as a rejection of the extremist ideologies represented by um, uh, represented by the opposition forces. Not just her; it, it, it is um, um, it's much more. But realize, number one, those who extol that uh, realize that she, they they still got forty percent of the vote, uh, Le Pen, and. The the uh, extreme right as is described, although I think it's it's somewhat unfair that there is a reaction to the to the incidents in society to violence. Uh, I spoke to Jews there who said that they were conflicted because they wanted to send a message to Macron that it wasn't acceptable, and maybe the first round did that. That you know the the tolerance of anti-Semitism that we saw with the murder from Halimi on. And the uh, you know the influx of uh, people from Muslim countries and the the uh, lawlessness that that uh, seems to be pretty rampant there. Certainly, the sharp increase in anti-Semitism that that by the way, in amongst these studies shows France again very bad. Um, that there, there was a reaction to it. And they want to send a message. Uh, I think in the second election, oh, and the turnout was much lower. They people then voted for. Um, to make you know, not to make a statement, but for what they really want the government to be. But I think you see, you will see this phenomenon in many other countries in Europe and elsewhere, including our own country, because people don't want to see the borders open. They don't want to see, uh, you know, the rise of crime, which is again universal across the country. It's in every sector of of the United States, including in New York. And for Jews, particularly, there isn't a day when we don't have. Incidents reported to us on and off campus in communities, young people being victimized, older people in every form possible from subways to school or classrooms. Hundred percent, and this is the and, and what you just described in terms of uh, this wave or, or or this switch or shift. Uh, this is in the aftermath of what you've already told us is happening in South America because that shift has already happened there, right? And there, it's on a, a national level, meaning. 
that we're seeing the changes in the government that they are, we, we've seen anti-Semitic statements by uh, Vice President in Costa Rica, we saw it in, in Chile, we see it in other countries where there were pro-Israel governments that were replaced uh, and or governments that had close ties to the Jewish community. And now it's, it's uh, almost without exclusion across the continent that we are seeing the, the positive or moderate forces being replaced by extremists, but mostly very left with Iran's fingerprints throughout and uh, and others but uh, iran in particular through venezuela and uh, its cohort countries cuba um it's it's very disturbing and nobody seems to be taking it seriously back to israel now uh, so you mentioned what's happening in iran and uh, you mentioned what's happening in terms of uh, the riots going on uh, in israel and these anti-semitic acts and it shouldn't be defined in any other way other than anti-semitism we keep hearing about rocks that are being thrown at buses and obviously what's going on on the temple mound first of all just in terms of a practical uh because it's the last friday of ramadan and you're in israel uh do we know what type of escalation there was on the temple mound today no, I was uh, actually at meetings in Tel Aviv with uh, government officials. But I, I will tell you that you sit here. We drove around. We came in. We didn't see anything on the streets, not along the old city walls, not nothing. And, you know, the truth is that it is a very small percentage of people who engage in this. There's incitement that is coming from official sources like Iraq, like Qatar. There are um, uh, religious sources and imams who, who preach uh, violence. But the actual numbers who are involved, when you're talking about 50,000 people coming um, to the Temple Mount almost every day, and, now, and today it was expected that it would be 200,000, it's only uh, a minute percentage that participate. But then you see the rallies and support and uh, some of the government condemnations, especially you know, disappointment with with Jordan's reaction. We know that it's a play to the, you know, the two-thirds of uh, Jordan's population or Palestinians, that the government, you know, on the one hand is cooperating and working with Israel on security-related issues, but on the other hand, joins in these public condemnations and threatening and saying Israel should not be, um, you know, uh, on the Temple Mount and they don't want Jews to pray. I mean, it's outrageous that that the uh, one place in the world where Jews can't pray and it's accepted is at our holiest site. Yeah. And the, you know, I understand the sensitivity of the government and I think they should do whatever is violence, but you know, there are principles that have to be established. Unfortunately, when people started the rumors, you know, that they wanted to do uh, an actual sacrifice, those kind of things feed the extremists and, and their uh, propaganda network. But I hope, Hello, Malcolm. Problem. Yeah. Oh, there you are. Hear me? Yep. Now we hear you. Yeah. That they are promulgating uh, lies. Israel allowed full religious, full freedom of worship. The only ones who aren't free to worship there are Jews. But for the Muslims, it's full. That the so many of the stories are total distortions of the reality. And you know how people can tell, Malcolm, I'll ask you, how can you tell whether somebody's up there to pray or to create violence? <laughs> I, I assume by the way they you know how? how? Look at the shoes. <laughs> if somebody is in a mosque wearing shoes, they ain't there to pray. Good point. Because they take off their shoes to pray. But you saw that all these young people didn't take off their shoes. They were going to get the rocks and stuff that were uh, stored up there. And they've been preparing it for a long time. And and they had uh, other, you know, these fireworks that people 
you know, said to me, ah, oh, what's fireworks? They're, they're lethal. You fire, you shoot a firework at a, at a policeman or a, a civilian or some other person. It's deadly. There, you can kill them. Sure, of course. <clears throat> but if you look at the pictures of them going into the Al-Aqsa Mosque, you see they're wearing their shoes. So they were just going in to get the rocks and throwing them. And they did throw over the side of the hotel today in the morning, but the police have been reacting. And I think the police have done a great job. They really prepared. This is not something that caught them by surprise. I've met with some of the heads of the key security agencies of the last 24 hours. And, you know, they know exactly. And, and there is outside interference. Uh, and, they're, you know, people are very concerned. And they're looking at steps about how do you deal with those if they're Israeli Arabs or those uh, Arabs who live in uh, Shomron or anywhere else where they're coming from, Israel tried to keep it open. Israel did everything to be flexible. And yet you see them being accused, and even countries that joined the Abraham Accords, joining the chorus of condemnation. It's America's, America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard on listeners' sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at AchimSegal.com and the AchimSegal Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. Malcolm Honelines with us. Explain the Jordan uh, piece to this. Do they always play this game of trying to, uh, you know, satisfy both sides? Because I, I thought they were pretty, uh, pretty peaceful and undemanding in the recent past about the uh, future of the Temple Mount, but they became very vocal over the last few days. And the answer to all parts of what you said is yes. <laughs> and, and although there would appear to be contradictory, you know, nothing in the Middle East is contradictory. It's all, you, you can say, and, and the two opposite things, and both will be true. And it's been true that there is cooperation. And I will tell you, the ongoing cooperation between Jordanian security and Israeli security is remarkable. It's positive, it, and it's in both countries' interests. I mean, Jordan needs Israel greatly, and, and Israel does a lot to help Jordan from providing it with water to security and other areas of cooperation. Uh, but uh, Jordan also uh, plays to the street, and the, the street incitement in, in the country is very great. Uh, and as I said, it has a majority uh, Palestinian population. And they um, so they, you know, the, the criticism is done with sort of a wink and nod. The problem is that the damage is done. Yeah. The point I keep making, yeah. you know, you can explain away what Jordan does, but it's a headline even in the Jerusalem Post today, and the world sees it, and they say, oh, well, Jordan, you know, moderate king, et cetera, et cetera, and he's already there. He wants to protect his position, Jordan's position, as as uh, controlling the Waqf, which is in control of the Temple Mount. Others are pretenders to it. So the Arabian Morocco, other descendants of Muhammad believe that they should be part, and some, I think Morocco heads the committee of the organization uh, of this, uh, the OIC, uh, Islamic countries' um, portfolio on uh, on Jerusalem. Uh, but Jordan wants to protect its position there. And as you know, the, the, the king gilded the top of the, the mosque and uh, did other things uh, as a demonstration of their commitment. Uh, so he, uh, the king and his government, and there are forces in the government who are fairly extreme, uh, you know, have to, uh, are walking a tightrope, as they say. But I think that we have to hold them to account for what they say publicly. <clears throat> it doesn't mean that we don't understand it. It means that we can't tolerate it, right. that we can't accept it, because the world doesn't see all the nuances. And we should mention that all this is going on as uh, as uh, more border activity than we are aware of. 
is happening along the borders of Israel, whether it's Israel and Gaza, whether it's Israel and Lebanon, uh, all, and of course, uh, all the internal things that we just talked about. Uh, all this is going on at the same time. Now, I don't know what the UN reaction was specifically um, aimed at. I don't know if it was aimed at the border clashes or what's going on in Jerusalem, but there was a call for calm from both sides. Now, I know you and I have spoken about this a million times because this is how the UN always reacts, but I think it's important to remind the audience that uh, even though Israel is certainly not the aggressor in any of these cases, still the UN reacts in the way that they do. And it's always even-handed, quote, even-handed, except that it's not even-handed, that the condemnation uh, against Israel is not warranted and not justified, and you see the resolutions being introduced in the UN. Uh, thank God the U.S. and others uh, don't support it, right. but, uh, you know, even the statements that come out of State Department are always this even-handed, you know, both sides should exercise control, you know, so both sides have a responsibility that's true, but the, the, but the exercise of that responsibility, when the police react, they react with such restraint. I mean, would you imagine in any other country this would go on and the police would allow the services to continue after they started riding because they wouldn't interfere with it uh, in, the, in the mosque and waited afterwards, even though it becomes more difficult as they progress. In, and you see how organized it was, that these are not as the media and others presented you know, just happenstance or just a spontaneous reaction. It's not that at all. And you can trace a lot of the reaction. Now the report is that Jordan helped stimulate it because they have to be able to assert more control. They want Israel off. I don't know that that's true. And, and I'm sure others will, will uh, this will be researching. Uh, I would not be surprised if it comes out that it isn't uh, uh, true, but that the statements were still disturbing. There are other sources, especially Iran, sometimes Turkey, and certainly Qatar, and they incite the, the Islamic State and, and uh, other groups, and they get to the young people, and I'm also asserting that I bet that many of them got paid to do this. And you saw that the, you know, the violence that preceded it, that the um, Israelis who were killed in the, in the acts of violence, but you also saw a father call up and, and call the police and say his daughter's going out to kill somebody, get her. Because they don't want it. Unbelievable. Uh, since I brought it up, what could you tell us about the rocket fire and the engagement with Lebanon and the uh, and what's going on the, between Israel and, and on the Gaza border at the moment? Right. So it's very important, and you're right to, to, to go back to it because uh, it's not getting the attention. We know that there were several rockets fired. We don't believe they were, uh, or the experts don't believe that it was Hezbollah. It was probably Hamas, which is trying to assert itself there. Or, uh, or another group, but most likely Hamas, which has now created a presence in the northern border, as they have in um, in Gaza. They are funded by Iran and provided weapons. And, you know, Israel has, we used to say, 150,000. I, I heard estimates of 200,000-plus rockets of all kinds of missiles and mortars surrounding it, and some of them with precision-guided uh, systems. Hezbollah, it seems that Hamas in Gaza does not want a war right now. They, they're they still reconstructing, and they know the price that will be paid. Israel struck back at the firing of a rocket because they're holding Hamas as the power in charge, accountable for what happens, even if it's, let's say, not a Hamas um, a terrorist itself, but certainly things that they can do. They know how to hold people to account when they want to. 
And so driving the message, and they hit, by the way, underground storage systems and uh, tunnels, which they continue to build. They, but many of them are built not to cross the border into Israel, but for storage, for maneuverability, to be able to maneuver when, uh, if there is a war or something underground and not be detected. And there are those, there's still attempts to do cross-border uh, uh, tunnels. But Iran is continuing to provide them with technology and they are developing guidance systems so that the rockets that they fire will have um, greater accuracy and also they're looking for longer range. Uh, Israel obviously uses their dome what's necessary and the big focus of the last couple of weeks has been on the uh, testing of a laser response uh, and you know when you fire Iron Dome it costs uh, you usually have to fire two for each rocket it costs you about $100,000 it costs Israel $100,000 when you to take down a, a rocket that costs $500 or $1,000 to make in with the laser it'll cost $200 to take down a $500,000 rocket so you, you you change the economy it will enable them to take down many more rockets uh, at the same time because you know Iron Dome has limited capacity as effective as it is and and David Sling and the other systems as well uh, move on to Russia versus the Ukraine. Um, what do you make of the Secretary of Defense and Secretary of State uh, trips from the United States uh, to Ukraine this week? And also, um, uh, why do you think it took so long for Russia to decide to halt the gas supplies to Poland? So, uh, well, let's take the first the, um, the question of the gas supplies. Well, number one, they lose the income for, for Russia, the income from the sale of oil and gas is very important. It is this their major source of, of income. As you know, that Russia, not Saudi Arabia, is the biggest exporter of oil in, in the world. And with the price of oil up so high, uh, they are a major beneficiary, and they need it because their other sources of income have been cut. You know, because of sanctions, because of the war, et cetera, plus the burden of the war, they, they need to continue to export in order to, to have the income. Uh, second, they don't want to see Europe move to, away from dependency on their oil and gas because after the fighting is over, et cetera, they won't come back to They'll find alternative means, as we know, during boycotts and other things, that people create other sources and resources um, to, uh, to compensate. So I think he, he waited. He also knew that it would be provocative action uh, and didn't know exactly how others would react to it. Now we see countries like Germany beginning to provide weapons. They all didn't do it for, for this time. And, you know, nobody talks about it, but most of the Asian countries, others, have never condemned Russia, have never gotten involved. Israel gets beaten up by everybody in the world saying, you haven't done enough, you haven't done enough, when they did much more than all the countries that are complaining about it. You know, Israel has taken in probably by now close to 20,000 people, the majority of them not Jewish, and planning to take in tens of thousands of Jews from Russia, Belarus, and certainly Ukraine, and and engaging in policies to open the doors, whether they're efficient or not, is another matter. And also sent hundreds of millions of dollars worth of equipment, including the hospital, the mobile hospital that they sent uh, to Ukraine, whereas 24 Asian countries never made a comment on it and are not getting involved, even don't even send humanitarian aid. And Jews around the world have reacted uh, very generously, et cetera, to, to, this, uh, to the humanitarian uh, needs in the country. Uh, so 
you know, it, it is a terrible situation. It's very complex. It will be good if it's over. You know, countries are suffering. Food supplies the whole world. Food crisis will be exacerbated terribly. A country like Egypt gets 80% of its wheat from Ukraine. People don't think about it. But what does CC do? And then he could find out if there's a shortage of bread, you get the streets to become active again and people rebel regardless of whether it's the government's fault or not. But they hold them accountable. And so it can be very destabilizing in, in a, a, a lot of ways. I think the visit was very important uh, to show the flag and, and, you know, it takes away an area that they criticized that they didn't come. And after uh, German officials, others started visiting, I think they're showing the flag and showing support to, um, to, the, to the people of Ukraine, which I think is the most important. Uh, and I think, you know, we have to understand that we don't want to poke Putin in the eye and, and get him just to escalate the violence because, you know, pride to them is very important and, and national pride and the, um, you know, people don't know whether he is suffering from something. He looks a little distorted and you see the pictures in the puffed up face, etc. So we don't know exactly what the circumstances are, but uh, clearly he, he feels betrayed by his generals and the army's performance and the number of dead is uh, on the Russian side is very high. And they seem now to become more aggressive and whether this will be the full court press and everybody said by first week in May, we will begin to see it. Well, it's certainly proving to be true. And uh, now we'll have to wait and see. But I think the international community's response has to be strong and the economic sanctions have to be strong uh, if in no other, for no other reason than to delimit what uh, Russia can do. I think it's also a message that, you know, Russia is to a degree a paper tiger. When it, it took over the Crimea, we didn't do anything. The West didn't do anything. It took over Donbass and other areas and, and other provocations. Uh, question is what lessons China learns from it? What kind of new aggressions will we see? Whether others will, will start to test the international system. Uh, you're in Israel. I'm, I'm just reminding everybody that Malcolm Homeland is in Israel this week. And I say it like that because, and you said you met with some government officials, and I and I get all the um, uh, the sacrifices and the gestures um, uh, that Israel has made toward the people of the Ukraine. Uh, I was going to mention the, the supply of the helmets and vests to the Ukrainian rescue services, and you, of course, mentioned mm-hmm. a whole, whole bunch of other ones. But I, I just, I, I, I wonder how, how thin a line Israel is walking. In other words, to me, uh, I, I would say it might be easier for them to take the approach of the other 20-some Asian countries that you mentioned, uh, you know, have not made any type of commitment whatsoever to humanitarian aid to Ukraine. How does Putin view this? Does Israel get a sour response from Putin or any type of uh, of, of, of um, criticism from Russia because they are taking an active role or because Israel's really, you know, their role is always humanitarian aid, uh, it, it wouldn't be proper. Or, or, or Putin would think it would be worthless to, you know, to to show some type of negative feeling toward Israel for doing it. Well, he has been critical, and as you know, in the UN, he criticized Israel for the treatment of Palestinians, which they have not done in the same way. And um, he's clearly uh, striking bad against some of the comments that were made by government officials. Uh, you know, in the initial reactions and the taking out Jews and doing all those other things, I think. 
they they understood, and I'm, I know that um, well. You know, Bennett communicated with them, Prime Minister Bennett, and was used to, as an inter, uh, force, a interim source um, to uh, carry on messages back and forth. I don't think it was a negotiator as much as a conduit, and uh, had the ability to reach both sides. The um, but the I think that they felt that when uh, Prime Minister Lapid, for instance, came out with a very strong condemnation after his already accident, uh, he responded to that. And very few countries, and most of those Asian countries, do not have the justification that Israel would have that Israel has a direct confrontation line with with Russia in Syria, and that Syria can uh, shift things by allowing um, uh, the use of uh, anti-aircraft more to limit Israel's ability to respond to the shipments of weapons which continue by Iran into the uh, into Syria, and Israel continues to react to it, uh, that uh, Russia does not want to see Iran become stronger or bigger, but Russian, but Iranian militia are filling the void left by the removal of some of this Russian troops from uh, Syria, and it, th- those positions are being filled by uh, Iranian uh, Iran and their um, multitudes of militia, both Hezbollah, but also the people they recruit from Afghanistan, Iraq, etc., and and place them in um, in units inside Syria. Some within embedding them inside Syrian army units to to avoid detection, and in some cases they operate as independent. Uh, militia. So for Israel, uh, you know, uh, Putin has options to punish them and to to make their life much more difficult. Uh, The communication between uh, Putin and and, uh, Prime Minister Bennett and others has continued all along. And I don't think he's looking to be vindictive. I don't think he wants to open up a frontier. I do think that, you know, he um, is angered by some of the things that uh, that took place, some of the responses. But Israel also has a moral obligation. And, you know, this Yom HaShoah reminds us um, that a world that becomes, that tolerates inhumane behavior, everybody becomes a victim. And therefore, Israel feels it's a direct responsibility to speak out and against inhumanity, against barbarism, and, and against um, these forces. But it has to be in a measure and in a way that is both productive and constructive. For Israel, uh, you know, more than almost any of these other countries, uh, doesn't face that faces immediate potential consequences. Europe does too, with the cutoff potential cutoff of of, of oil and gas. But remember that that is cutting off your nose to spite your face mm-hmm. for Russia, because they need that money, they need the income, and especially now. So it. Um, very complex situation for, that's, for Israel. That's for sure. Um, uh, what do you what, what do you know? I know we only have a minute here, but what do you know about the death threats to the prime minister? And I, I mean, I don't think we ever heard stories like this before. And now it seems to be happening multiple times. Well, I don't think it was multiple times, but they, they, now there was a bullet sent uh, one to him and, and against his son. Um, I know that the. Uh, the head of some of the security agencies uh, told us that they condemned it in very strong terms and said that, you know, this is, um, it, it, I don't think it's a threat to the uh, fundamental democracy of Israel, but the fact that people vent their anger and stuff in that way is, is unacceptable. And 
I'm sure they will catch those who were responsible. Um, but people, you know, get frustrated because they saw what happened during the May Intifada, where Israeli Arabs engaged in some uh, very hostile actions. They saw, they have seen some, even some Jews engaging in activities which they feel crossed the line of, of what is legitimate expression of dissent and, and or advocacy. Uh, but I would say that Israel's democracy is intact. It's healthy. That you know the government has been out. The Knesset has been out because of the um, of the holiday now. Because uh, I mean they have a Knesset holiday so much longer than Pesach, <laughs> and they come back next week. So we will start seeing a lot of activity, and we don't know whether the government can sustain. Right now, it looks like it's still well. They can function at sixty votes and even fifty nine if the, if the opposition can't mount a majority to vote uh, vote of no confidence. But that too will be, I think, destabilizing this whole uh, process of the government, you know, potentially falling. So you don't, you, it cripples the ability to pass legislation and for fulfilling uh, policies and issues, Israel has, you know, like the rest of the world, impacted by the economic conditions that uh, strain uh, the, the um the economies of many countries. Yep, I hear that. Uh, enjoy Israel, and thanks so much for joining us. Next week, of course, uh, Yom Hazikaron is Wednesday. Yom Atzmut, Israel's 74th birthday, is Thursday. We hope to speak on Friday, please, God. Uh, have a wonderful Shabbos, Malcolm, and we'll speak next week. Great Shabbos from beautiful Jerusalem. The weather is ideal. So for those who are thinking about it, come. The hotels uh, had a great Pesach. But we need to sustain it and to make sure that the streets of Jerusalem are full and that you get to see all the amazing things that are, are being discovered here and our past coming to life. Amen. Thanks so much. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Fridays, 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time for the weekly update here at JM the AM. I remind you that Thursday is not only Israel's 74th birthday, Thursday is also Quizreel Day, Quizreel to benefit Nefesh Benefesh. Those of you out there who haven't yet registered for the world's largest Jewish trivia game, make sure to go to Quizreel.com right now, Q-U-I-Z-R-A-E-L.com, Q-U-I-Z. R-A-E-L dot com with a special thank you to all the sponsors including El Al and including Turo University um, and uh, register register support Nefesh Benefesh and be part of the world's largest Jewish trivia game also if you're affiliated with a school if you have anything to do with a school you're a principal you're a faculty member you're a director of student activities you're a student you're a parent you're a teacher whatever the case may be uh, make sure to register your school for quiz reel for this coming thursday a fun educational program available to schools uh, there'll be an elementary school competition. There'll be a high school competition. Go to quizreel.com for all the information. Q-U-I-Z-R-A-E-L.com. Q-U-I-Z-R-A-E-L.com. This time each and every Friday, every era of Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Uden, spiritual leader emeritus, Congregation Shomri Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Uden. Good morning, Nachum. Good air Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Acharimos. Yes, we are this week, and we will be for quite a while, behind Eretz Yisrael. They read Acharimos this past Shabbos, which was Acharon Shal Pesach for us, and for them it was a regular Shabbos, and uh, they couldn't eat chametz. Interesting. Okay, 
Achremos contains but 80 psukim. It contains no less than two positive mitzvos and 26 restrictions. The parsha is easily divided. The first third of the parsha deals with the laws, the avoda of Yom HaKippurim, the special service that was performed by the Kohen Gadol, Achas Pashana, once a year on Yom Kippur. The middle of the parsha speaks about the bringing of korbanos, specifically to the Beis Amigdash, and the restriction of blood. And finally, the last part of the parsha is that of the arayos, the prohibited and forbidden sexual relations, that interestingly we read as well on Yom Kippur afternoon for Mincha. I'd like to share with you one pasuk and the interpretation that both Rashi and the Vilna Gaon have on this very important Pasuk. As a bridge between the middle and the end of the parsha, the Torah tells us, one, not to follow the ways of Mitzrayim from which we've come, and not to emulate and copy the ways of the people of Canaan to which we are going. And the Torah concludes that short section in chapter 18, Pasuk 5, whereby the Torah says, Ushmartem, you are to guard and observe, Chukosai, my laws, which you don't have reasons for, Shatnes, Paraduma, a mixing kosher milk and kosher meat, Vesmishpotai, my laws, which you do understand, which are Sikhli, Asher Yaseh Osama Adam, that man shall perform and do the mitzvot of Hashem bohem, for, with which you live Ani Hashem I am God now what does that mean bohem, that you live through the mitzvot Ani Hashem I am God so Rashi learns bohem, to mean you're going to live with these mitzvot for eternity in Olam Haba, in the world to come. Says Rashi, Shim Tomar Ba'olam Hazeh, should you explain it to mean in this world, Halo Sofahumais, in this world we are destined to die. And therefore, Vachai Bahem, Tarashi has the understanding of forever, and that's Olam Haba. Interestingly, there are not many verses in our Torah that speak about Olam Haba. This is well worth taking note of. Ani Hashem, I am God. And what does Rashi say? What does it mean, I am God? Ne'eman l'shalem schar. Trustworthy, that he will pay a person reward for their performance of mitzvot. Now, interestingly, this pasuk is the one that is cited at the end of the Gemara Yuma, where the Gemara Yuma is giving sources from different psukim in the Torah that teach us that Pikuach Nefesh 
is Doche Shabbos, that God forbid if somebody has chest pain on Shabbos afternoon, we don't say, well, maybe he uh, had too much chant. The answer is we call the ambulance. We don't take any chances. So the Gemara Numa 88b cites this Pasuk as the uh, uh, source of that, namely that you are to live with mitzvos and not die, except for the big three of idolatry, adultery, and murder. The Vilna Gaon has a different understanding of this verse. He says the following, these mitzvos that we do, adam, that man is to do for chaybohem, and this gives an assurance of life, who wouldn't want to live? Who wouldn't want to do mitzvot in order to be blessed with life and long life? Says the Pasuk at the end, Ani Hashem. That's not the reason for doing mitzvot. Do mitzvot because Hashem told us to do mitzvot. Ani Hashem. That's the motivation. And pause. The next time we are privileged to recite a birkas mitzvah, women, this evening, when you light Shabbos candles, so listen to the words of the bracha, Asher Kitshanu B'mitzvosav, that Hashem sanctified us, made us different with His commandments, V'tsivanu, but we do it because He commanded us to do it. And therefore, doing the mitzvos gives us life. But that shouldn't be the motivation. The motivation should be Ani Hashem. I believe that is a very proper segue to pausing and remembering for a moment the Kedoshim. Acharimos Kedoshim is not just a Melitza that li- literally after their passing if a Jew dies for one reason and one reason only, and that is because he was killed as a Jew. The Rambam writes in Igeres Hashmad that that person, whether he was an observant Jew or not, that person is considered as dying al Kiddush Hashem, and therefore they have a share in the world to come and not just a share a very proper wholesome share in the world to come I'd like to just share with you now that we have experienced the performance the privilege of performance of mitzvot in our homes with families is worthy of pausing and taking note. And I'll be sharing with you several insights from the Sefer, the Holocaust and Halacha by Irving Rosenbaum, where he cites heavily from Rav Oshri Zatzal and discusses several very fascinating chuvos and questions and answers that were asked during the Shoah regarding 
the Yom Tov of Pesach. I can only tell you that in Bergen-Belsen, the rabbis formulated a tefillah for those who are compelled to violate the laws of Pesach and before they ate chametz on Pesach, they composed a Yehi Ratzon, just as some have the um, custom of reciting a Hidani Muchan Muzuman. And whether you recite it or not, don't change. If you don't recite it, that's fine. And if your family custom is for many years to come. However, the bracha that we made was thank you Hashem for commanding us to eat matzah. And before eating chametz in the Bergen-Belsen concentration camp, this is what they said. Avinu Shabashamayim, our Father in Heaven, it is known and revealed before you that it is our will to do your will. We want to do Ritzonecha. We want to observe the festival of Pesach through Matzah and by not violating the prohibition of Chametz. And for this, our hearts are grieved that our enslavement prevents us and we are in danger of our lives and therefore we are prepared and ready to fulfill your mitzvah of this week's parsha v'chai bohem that you are to live with the mitzvos v'lo sheyomus bohem and not die because of them and to carefully heed the warning as found in parshas for eschanan u'shmartem o'od l'nafsosechem therefore take good heed and guard your life very much. Therefore, it is our prayer unto you that you keep us alive, preserve us, redeem us speedily so that we may observe your mitzvot and we can serve you with a perfect heart. Amen. Amazing. Listen to this. A number of people in the forced labor camps had managed to secure a quantity of dirty potato peelings as well as a small amount of flour. They wished to mix the potato peelings with flour to extend it and bake matzah to eat on the first night of Pesach. This would be permissible according to the Gemara since Mayperos, the liquid of fruits, when mixed with flour, does not cause chametz. However, it would be necessary to wash the dirt off the potato peelings, and according to the opinion of the Gemara Psachim, Lamit Ches, as found in Shulchan Aruch, a mixture of water and the potato liquid could cause chimutz. Okay, now, the authorities do not agree on this. Rabbi Tam and others do not consider the product of such a mixture to be Chamitz Gamur. However, the Rambam does. So what should they do? So therefore, Rav Avram Shapiro, the chief rabbi of Kovna, ruled that the potato peelings could not be washed in water, should be wiped clean with dry cloths. The use of water could cause the mixture of the peelings and the flour to become leavened rapidly. But it would be permissible to mix the cleaned, dry peelings with a little flour to bake them into matzah. Amazing. This is what they did under these conditions. And just before Pesach, 
79 years ago, the Germans sent to the ghetto the usual quote of bread, which they are accustomed to distribute to the Jews. This ration was for a two-week period, and since observant Jews would attempt to save their bread quota and not eat it during Pesach, but afterward, Rav Ashri Zatzal was asked what to do in this case about the prohibition of chametz that has been in the possession of a Jew during Pesach, which would then be forbidden after Pesach. And obviously you couldn't sell it to a non-Jew, for the Jews were afraid to have any contact with a non-Jew, since this was forbidden under penalty of death. And they were also afraid that even if they did manage to make arrangements with a non-Jew, he might inform the Germans that the Jews were concealing and hoarding bread. And so, Rav Ushri said not only because it's a Bidyevich and Bidyevich situation as the Mishnabura rules in Tof Mem Ches Sivkot Mchof Ches that if a person was in jail or something like that he can use it after Pesach and rely upon um, his uh, beetle but listen carefully Rav Ashri developed the ingenious point that in any case the bread ration did not belong to the Jew and is not legally his for according to the German laws all all Jewish property is legally theirs. Even the bread ration, which they distributed through the Judenrat, remained their property of the Germans, and the Judenrat was simply their agent for distributing it. This is so, he points out, for if the Germans were to discover anyone taking some of this bread, they would immediately kill him. The questions that they asked, this is so significant, and that is, what do we do for the four cups of wine? They didn't have wine. The best they could come up with, if they could up with it, was sweetened tea, for which Rav Ashi writes, I use that since sweetened tea might be considered Hamar Medina for Havdallah, I allowed them to use it. I just want to tell you, and close with this, that Rev Yosef, excuse me, Rev David Hafstada, the one who Baruch Hashem worked on the Dirshu, Mishnah Brura, and Darshas, David, in his introduction says, why was he blessed with such Sayata Deshmaya? Because of his mother's Mesiras Nefesh. His mother hid bread before Pesach that in order that she would have after but not to eat on Pesach. And on Pesach there was an order for a march and people knew that when they were told to go on these marches, unless they had extra rations with them, they could not survive. She digged up this bread. This is what enabled her to live during that march, and the rest, as they say, is history. When we read this Shabbos, Bohem, that we are to live with Torah, think of the incredible Mesiras Hashem, and Mesiras Nefesh, that was done by so many in the Shoah. And we pray you know, Tehei Zichram Brucha.
Special reason you will find Today is on a Tuesday And the kids learn olive base And you know that I got Shabbos on my mind Yes, I walk against the many As they're groping in the night I've tried to share the Torah in a rhyme And the boys are now bar mitzvah And Wednesday night is here And you know that I got Shabbos on my mind And Thursday sees a chuppah And the weather is getting cold And the Torah scroll is turning And we are growing old And the jokers and the scoffers They're running out of time And you know that I got Shabbos Yeah, you know I got Shabbos on my mind It's a Friday morning sunrise No time to mess around I'm the old man who dovin' right on time And your prayers get more sincere As old friends pass away And you know that I got Shabbos on my mind And there is no deception Cause he knows just who you are A hunger to be holy While feeling very far And the jokers and the scoffers They're running out of time And you know that I got Shabbos Yeah, you know I got Shabbos on my mind It's a Friday evening sunset No time to mess around I'm the old man who dubbing right on time And your prayers get more sincere When old friends 
Shabbos. Yeah, you know I got Shabbos. You know I got Shabbos on my mind. JM in the AM with Moshe, yes. Shabbos on my mind. A lot of people have Shabbos on their mind, uh, especially when it's a long Friday and you desperately want to get to Shabbos already. Uh, candle lighting at 7.30 here in New York. 7.30 candle lighting in New York. Make sure you know when things start where you are. It is a Friday morning on this 29th of April, 28th of Nissan, day 13 in the counting of the Omer. If you forgot to count last night, make sure to do so sometime today. It's one week and six days, day 13 right now. Uh, Erev Shabbos Parshas Achremos. In Israel, of course, we are, uh, in, in Israel, they are one parsha ahead of us. Candlelighting, as I said, in New York, 7.30, 7.30 candlelighting. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Sunday and Monday is Rosh Chodesh ER, which means we begin Rosh Chodesh tomorrow night. And uh, tomorrow is Machar Chodesh. Tomorrow night, Sunday, Monday is Rosh Chodesh ER. And again, it's Machar Chodesh uh, tomorrow. And we bench Rosh Chodesh tomorrow. Keep all of that in mind. Um, right, so tomorrow's Machar Chodesh, Sunday's Rosh Chodesh, and Monday's Rosh Chodesh. A reminder from all of us here at JM in the AM. Quizreel.com, you know, we keep talking about Yom HaZikaron and Yom Yerushalayim, excuse me, Yom HaZikaron and Yom Atzmut coming up on uh, Wednesday and Thursday, respectively, Israel's 74th birthday celebration. Uh, I want to remind you that Quizreel is the world's largest Jewish trivia game. It benefits Nefesh Benefesh, and we're hoping that everybody out there will participate in this fun, educational, and really unique activity. Go to quizreel.com, Q-U-I-Z-R-A-E-L.com, Q-U-I-Z-R-A-E-L.com. And um, you'll see there the registration information being uh, how you can be part of this uh, unique and really interesting educational program. Speaking of education, those of you who are affiliated with schools, there is a uh, an elementary school competition on Thursday. There's a high school competition on Thursday with Quizreel, where every single student, or at least the students that you want, uh, up to the maximum number of students in your school, can participate in a fun, educational, and great program that has prizes and more. Uh, it's a great trivia game, a wonderful way to spend Yom Atzmut, especially for those who are uh, always looking for great Yom Atzmut programming. Uh, all the information is there at quizreel.com, Q-U-I-Z-R-A-E-L.com, Q-U-I-Z-R-A-E-L.com. With a big thank you to El Al and a big thank you to Turo University and a big thank you to all the sponsors of the event. Go to quizreel.com, Q-U-I-Z-R-A-E-L.com, and make sure to sign up. We'll be here on Yom Atzmut, uh on Thursday. And Benji Kramer has promised to analyze... The National Anthem of Israel, Hatikva, in the 7 o'clock hour. Make sure to be tuned in early for our special on, um, on Thursday. The, um, the National Anthem of Israel, Hatikva, will be analyzed from a uh, poetic and language point of view by Rabbi Benji Kramer, who's, of course, uh, providing Meir Milim. In fact, I think this coming Monday after JM and the AM... I believe it is a um, a segment that he's doing uh, for Meir Milim on the word tikva, on the word hope, ha-tikva. So um, he'll do that for us on Thursday in terms of the um, explanation and the look, a close look at the National Anthem of Israel, the ha-tikva, uh, as part of our Yom Atzmut program. Ishai Fleischer has said he'll join us on Thursday. Uh, we have others who might be joining us Thursday as well for our Yom Atzmut special 
on the Wednesday, Yom Azikaron here at JM in the AM. So make sure to be tuned in. And again, for those of you who have not yet registered for Quizreel, be part of the world's largest Jewish trivia game. Uh, and uh, certainly if you're with a school in any capacity, get your school signed up for the competition for this coming Thursday by going to quizreel.com, Q-U-I-Z-R-A-E-L.com. Simple as that. Time to take a shop is with Journeys at JMM.
Our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NachumSegal.com and the NachumSegal Network, and of course, on the beloved NSN app. Wraps up an amazing Friday here at JMM. My thanks to all of you for tuning in. Um, coming up at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, it's Mark Zamek and the Arab Shabbos Show, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Arab Shabbos Music Mix, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Tomorrow night, Saturday night, Seagull with Avrami and Rabbi Eliezer Zwickler. Make sure to be tuned in. Sunday, it's Matis with JM Sunday, beginning at 7 a.m. Eastern Time, live here on the Nahum Seagull Network. Have a fabulous Friday, a wonderful Shabbos, a great weekend. Till next week, Nahum Seagull reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.